if you look at your wife and you say, hey, I'm going to be A-plus faithful well, 98% of the time. Well, the 2% of the time you're not faithful in your marriage, freaking matters. People are addicted to competency tasks right now. They want to be challenged intellectually. But character tasks are, what are you doing where people are not going to clap? At some point, our society got above taking out their own trash. Exactly. And there's this expectation even in corporate culture where it's like, how many hundreds of trash cans exist? And there's someone who cleans them all at the end of the night. I'm very, very aware that there's many more people in my life that want something from me than for me. You've heard me say it before, and hopefully this will be the last time you hear me say it, but audio issues happen in the podcasting world. This is the case with the Greg Kimball episode that you're about to listen to. It was one of the first episodes we recorded, and we figured out a whole lot around audio since then. But because he's a dear friend and the depth of the conversation that we were able to explore, I wanted to release it anyway. So happy listening, and I hope to see you around for the next episode of Flipping the Lid. Welcome back, everybody. You know what we do here on Flipping the Lid. We love to go deep. We love to jump into the stories on some of the most significant people creating impact in this world. And today we have a very, very good friend of mine who I've had the pleasure of speaking at many of his events and building a really cool relationship over the last couple of years. This is a man that the first time I met him, it was almost like I had an experience of purity. It was actually just magical, the room that he created, and I felt like I was cleansed by being in his presence. And the reality of it is the more I watched this individual store and the individuals that he surrounds himself with at all levels of life, finances and experience, because he's trying to elevate everyone to get them to be able to live the lives that they want. Incredible musician, having a deep, 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 profound impact because of the colleges that have been created and really what I'm most excited about is not just the coaching, speaking, and the impact, but just who this man is as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a son, and as a friend and mentor to so many. He shows up, and he shows up setting a standard for so many people to follow. So we're going to get ready to jump in today, but Greg Kimball, man, happy to have you with me. Dude, thank you so much, and I I, I feel so honored to just hang out with you, and I... It's it's so funny. A lot of a lot of things that you were saying, I can actually just say right back to you. It's like a, a mirror, and I think that's you know one of the things that happens. And I search for for so long is just finding relationships like we've been able to to cultivate and, and what's blossomed, and you know having a, a respect for one another to where. Because I, I think, you know, in the coaching space and, you know, in, when you're trying to guide people, you're trying to help people, there's a lot of times where, you know, you're always on and you're always trying to be the guy. And it's fun when I get to hang out with you and I don't have to be the guy. Like I can like, you know, in, in, in your language, like I can actually drop my armor and, you know, and then sometimes it's not fully dropped and then you help me drop it a little bit. Um, but it's just, it's it's fun to be able to have someone where, you know, I can, I can go there with because I, I'm not having to, you know, just be that oak tree that everyone is, is leaning against and on and tethered to, yeah. um, having a fellow oak tree is, is really nice. Yeah. So it's, you know, the feeling's absolutely mutual. I have an unbelievable amount of respect for you and, you know, the event that we just got done doing and, you know, watching you really in your element where you're doing some hot seat coaching and, providing like real honest to God breakthroughs for people. Not this, 
you know, lip service that comes along with a lot of these seminars that I see happen all the time to where it's, it's almost weird because hot seat coaching can mean a couple of different things. You, it's either I know what I'm doing and I'm, I really want to help you and we need to go there or I'm trying to poke you so much to make you cry to just create a fake moment. And th that's, those are the two that I see. And watching you work at our event was really fun. And, you know, talking to the people, not just the people who got coached, but the people who watched it and really learned through transference what it meant to them and the mm. things they could use. It was, it was powerful. I mean, and, I mean, every single person, including the person in the chair, but me included, every single person had tears in their eyes. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a real honest-to-God breakthrough. And it's just that's, that's why we do what we do. I was not expecting it all to come back to that direction off of, off of a great intro, but dude, thank you for, uh, for all those kind words. I, I felt all of that. I received all of that. And yeah. that's why I show up and do what I do because I know my ability yeah. and I don't say that arrogantly. I just, I know how good I am. Yeah. I know what I'm capable of in terms of transforming people. And that's why we believe so adamantly in the things that we do because, yeah. um, I, I see what can be possible in little time. Yeah. I mean, one of the individuals that was there, that's what I thought was interesting about that. And not to go too far down this path, because this is about you today, but it was, you know, you created that room. Mm -hmm. You have depth of relationships with these people that has fostered trust and a safe environment, which, which entering into that space makes it easier for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. I know my ability, regardless of the environment, to create and facilitate that. But one person I'd had interactions with mm -hmm. and one I did not. Mm -hmm. Right. And what was really fascinating is the one with the background, it was probably a 10 minute conversation. And the one without was maybe 25, mm -hmm. right? I had no context. So I had to gather some before we knew where to take it. Exactly. But the reality of it is, is like, that's what I want the whole world to walk away with is yeah. knowing, right? This thing that so many people avoid because they don't want to exist there. Or they think that they're going to be living in this place, feeling like garbage for months, years, if they have to actually unpack it, mm -hmm. literally, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You can move dramatically in as little as 10 to 30 minutes exactly. in the right environment mm -hmm. with the right openness. And mm -hmm. so you helped facilitate that. Uh, you know, I, I want to go down a couple of different paths, but I know I gave you an introduction in my words. Mm -hmm. Who are you in your words? I am someone who doesn't give up. I am my, like my favorite thing to identify as is now a father as of you know 16 months ago um a husband uh i often say it's it's hard to kind of for me to play the quote-unquote social media game because basically if i'm not sharing something that i'm doing with my family or something it, it feels kind of contrived and fake because like all i actually care about is moments with my family and that's why like every time i'm speaking and going somewhere, they're always with me. I mean, in, in our most recent event, I mean, there's so many times where you hear my, you know, 16 month old outside yeah. yelling. And I actually talked about it at dinner last night and I, I thanked everyone because I said, you know, I, it's not lost on me that people pay a lot of money to go to mm -hmm. things like this. And there are people out there who, if the facilitator's child is running around or even at the table, or distracting, they're mad saying, hey, like, don't have him around. And the amount of love that was for my family and for my kid is an extension of me. And, um, you know, who I am is just someone who wants to be there for my wife 
and be there for my child. And I'm, I'm just working hard to create, you know, the life that I think that my, my family deserves. And that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, and I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like in, in a lot of ways. I'm like, I'd, I'd say, you know, who am I? Probably the best way to put it is I'm an explorer. I'm always exploring relationships. I say yes a lot, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways, but I'm always exploring like relationships and opportunities and the the big kind of differentiating factor on whether I'll take the exploration or set sail in a specific direction is whether or not I can bring my family. Because I've gotten a lot of offers or opportunities, but then they're like, oh, but you know, like we were either not going to, have room for your, your wife and child or they can't come or there's not enough money. And I'm just like, well, we're kind of a package deal. So that's yeah. also not a negotiation. So I'd say an explorer. I, I explore and um, my, my dreams and my goals and my visions, they, they, there's like this kind of overarching maybe story arc, but um, they're, they're always changing. What does your family deserve? My family deserves a different life than I grew up in because we were, there was a fair amount of violence when I was little. Um, there was a fair amount, uh, there was extreme poverty. Uh, one of the things that I, re I had to realize early on that, that happiness and pleasure are two very, very different things. Mm. And someone asked me, they said, you, can you give me your, your happiest moment? And I thought about this because I was like, what is my happiest moment? And I responded with the story. I said, you know, honestly, probably Domino's pizza. And they went, it's not, it's not the day you got married or you bought your first house or you brought your, your wife or your, your, your child into the world. And I said, no, it's Domino's pizza for sure. This is my happiest moment. And they said, okay, you really got to explain Domino's pizza to me. Or you got to expand your experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and I said, we grew up so poor that I was the kid who would really want food. And so I would eat as fast as I possibly could so that I could be the person who'd get seconds. Until my brother, who's, you know, 15 years older than me, anytime he was around, you know, I would get, you know, beat up or chastised or judged for you know, getting extra food too soon and, and this, that, and the other. But once a month, my family, we would go to uh, Blockbuster and we would get whatever the newest movie is and we would all order Domino's pizza. So, you know, if my brother was in town, he'd get his own pizza. My dad would get his own pizza. I'd get my own pizza. And then I wouldn't have to worry about like someone taking my food. And I remember a very clear one. We, we rented Independence Day, and I had just watched like a bunch of things on like the first like computer uh, generated graphics of all the F-16s when they're going to go fight the thing, and all the computer processing. I was so excited to see this movie. And I had my Legos out. I had my medium pizza with my toppings, my choices, and I'm looking back and I'm I'm seeing my family, and we're hanging out and. Everyone is content. They have their own food. No one's fighting. And I just, that was the happiest I've ever been. Um, but what I realized is I really think that happiness is a finite emotion. So I, I view happiness a lot like a cup. 
So it can only get so full. And then that's just everything just is extra after that. And I think that happiness is internal. So there's certain things that happen with happiness where you, it's coming from inside of you. It's coming from an experience, a sense of peace, a depth, and pleasure is very much external. And so then you get into these things where people are trying to fill their happiness, which is an internal emotion, with external things like the car or the whatever. I've certainly been in that cycle. Um, I have to. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, we all have, especially in the, a, a very capitalist society. Um, because if we're talking about marriage, like when I married Kayla, the reason it's not the happiest I've ever been because it's a completely different emotion. And I think that because happiness and pleasure are just as important, you need both to survive. And when they collide, when happiness and pleasure collide, you have the only, in my view, the only exponential emotion, which is joy. And if you look at any, whether it's religion, whether it's songs, whether it's, you know, little kids, you can tell the difference between happiness and joy. Like joy on a kid is when they'll run down the aisle and they'll just randomly like jump up and yell hooray. Like that's like an outburst of joy. It's not just happiness. And that's the big thing is I remember seeing my dad unhappy. I remember seeing my mom unhappy. I remember seeing my brother unhappy. And I didn't really understand it obviously at that time. But the big thing for me is, you know, and it probably started in high school. One of my very favorite movies is A Knight's Tale, which if, if you haven't seen that movie, like go watch it. It's fantastic. And plus Heath is just. He's, he's a legend. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing in it is, you know, the, the kid who I identified as when, when I'm watching this movie, the dad gives his kid to a knight to go be a squire or just someone to help out the knight. And the kid ends up working for the night the whole time until this night just ends up dying. And then he assumes the identity. Mm-hmm. And the whole overarching thing in the movie is a man can change his stars. A man can change his stars. And I've said that so long. I actually just wrote a song that says that multiple times in it of, you know, you can change your stars. And I didn't realize how deeply it impacted me. And ever since I was little, and I had, you know, the Domino's pizza story. And, you know, in a lot of ways, like because I didn't realize how poor we were when I was little. I didn't realize how financial redline and how sometimes like, like I thought it was normal when we would have like potato soup, which was like literally just like a little bit of milk, hot water and potatoes. Like I thought, but this is what people ate. I didn't realize we were doing that because we were like, we were at financial redline. And I didn't realize like my parents were, you know, so scared. And I think that just going through that, I had these seeds planted in me along the way where I just said, you know, I just, I just, I just want to change my stars. And I'm still figuring out what that sky looks like. But recently we watched that movie again and I looked at Kayla and I said, I realize my mission in life now is to help other people change their stars, is to equip people to identify, you know, what skies are possible and set sail. And, you know, I just want to help people. And, and like I tell people so often, it's like, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out a lot of this stuff. And I mean, just like anybody, I still make mistakes. But that's the kind of the overarching thing is this, you know, little kid 
who is is trying to go become a knight. Yeah. This little kid who wants to be noble and healthy. It's interesting though, if you look at that story as well, right? His ability to step into a role literally required him to put on armor. Yeah. Yeah. And it also required him to step into what his belief of what a knight looked like. Yeah. Which now they were able to do it in the scheme of a movie relatively simplistically, but yeah. what did that lead to? It led to him actually getting disconnected from the places and people that he was drawn to. Yeah. And he was forced into, for lack of their term, humility, yeah. which required the removal of armor mm -hmm. and complete transparency and the human experience yeah. that then led to the outcome of the movie, which was beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I'm really curious for you, right? You are showing other people what's possible. Mm -hmm. You've stepped into a world you never believed in. Mm -hmm. I know you carried armor for a long time yeah. and in some ways you still do. Still do, absolutely. So that's what I'd be really curious about. What did you believe you needed to be in order to be successful? And when did you realize that the armor was actually keeping you from everything you wanted on the other side. Oh, that's that's a great question. So I, it probably started with my first nice car, uh, my first car that I didn't think that I could afford, which was a three fifty Z. And I was so pumped. Those are fun to drive by. They're they're fun to drive. They're they're really fun. I don't I don't I don't think any twenty one year old should have one. To be very clear, because I wrecked it. Um, but it, it started me down this thing. So I, I made a good, sensible decision. I had a Honda Accord when I was driving. What a great car. It's a great car. I'm working at Guitar Center, Honda Accord. But, you know, you're in this hyper-competitive sales environment. And then, you know, to get a car that doesn't have cruise control, to get this, that, and the other. But, like, it's basically the base of the base model 350Z. And trade out of a car I just bought, which was a a Honda uh, Accord, but you know, it was intoxicating what other people my age thought of me for having that car. Mm. It was, it, and so that's when it started. And then, you know, then like the kind of the car train went down and I don't think I actually really started dropping the full armor until probably far more recently than I think a lot of people realize. Um, so I did a bunch of work for Mercedes. I ended up with this like $200,000 uh, GT, which is, you know, little coupe, just like the 350Z, only way fast. Oh, yeah. And uh, looks like the Batmobile. It has this super long front end. They're beautiful cars. They're be it's a work of art. They're beautiful cars. So, but the problem is, is I live in Colorado. I'm from Wyoming. Um, and so, man, like going over speed bumps, like I'm not – maybe going over a little too fast. And then the, the, the front end is so long, I'm running into every curb. And so there was one time I get, like I had cracked the, the front carbon uh, fiber thing and I go look at how much it is or I get the quote and it's like, I don't know, it's like 2,800 bucks. I was going to say it's three grand minimum. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and so I remember like looking at Kayla and I said, I'm just so tired of cars like this. Yeah. And so she – it's just, you want to talk about the most disarming human on planet Earth. Kayla just looks at me and she goes, so why do you have it? Bingo. And I went, well, like, they, like, gave it to me because I did so good. Like, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. And I'm like, uh, I'm like I want to, like, I, I thought I had to play a part. Mm. And I'd get out and then everyone would be like, and it, it occurred to me, they never, anybody who has one of those cards, 
No one ever says who is that person. They say, what does that person do? Yep. Bingo. And so she's looking at me and she says, you know, if you were going to just go buy that car instead of basically winning it like a prize because you're good at your job, if you're just going to go buy the car or buy a car, what, what would you get? And I said, I'd go buy a Jeep. But that's what I want. I want a Jeep. I'm a, like, I've, I've gone on Jeep rides with my dad. He has a 1947 Willys Jeep. And we've been a Jeep family our I'm whole life. On CJ5, bro. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is why we're cut from the same cloth. And, and so I just looked at her and said, I, I want a Jeep. I'm like, you think about it. I can go camping in it. It's basically the best summer vehicle on planet Earth. You take the top off, the doors off. If you get into you know trouble, it's the best vehicle to get out of trouble. It's the best snow vehicle. It's like there's no better vehicle yeah. to just drive around. It's, it's literally amazing. the Swiss Army knife of it's, a vehicle. It's amazing. Yeah. And so she looks at me. She goes, "So why don't you go buy one?" And I, I had realized because I'm from Wyoming, my dad and I went on Jeep rides my whole life. And all of these things happened. It, what, like, I didn't allow that to be part of my identity. Like, I was supposed to be Batman or Bruce Wayne, whatever, whichever. I was supposed to be this other person. But I didn't actually like being that person. I mean, I went through Aston Martins. I went through, uh, you know, the Nissan GTR. I had every M series BMW and the reason I never stuck with a car and I was always switching in and out of cars is because it had nothing to do with who I actually was. That's like right. I'm a Jeep guy. Yeah. And so it was such an interesting thing. And, and to be very clear, like I've been a motivational speaker for a while now, but I mean, I just got rid of that car like two and a half years ago. Mm. So it's like, people need to realize like, like I love what Kayla says. She says, you know, you can be, a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. We all are. And so like, and it wasn't until like, I really adopted that, that, cause I always thought I had to play this, this role. Yeah. Because like going back to like the, this is what a noble person does. This is what the knight does. This is what the, and it really, it affected me in ways that I didn't even realize were happening. Cause I thought I yeah. had to play this part. And it's it's really changed and in so many ways still changing but like that was one of the big hurdles for me because now like i don't care like if i go to like a billionaire party and i roll up in my jeep like this is who i am yeah and this is actually who i am and i don't care and if if you have a problem with what i drive it up in i probably shouldn't be at this party and i just need to be okay with that mm -hmm. and it's 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 a, a good thing. I mean, again, still a work in progress, but it's it's one of those it's one of those things that uh, I had to go through and recognize. You know, you know, what am I doing? So, what parts, if any, do you still believe you need to play? I, it's it's still I, I'm much better at this. Um, you know, becoming vulnerable. However, there's definitely when you play air traffic controller for people mm -hmm. and you are, you know, trying to be all things to all people, you know, there's a lot of times where like, you know, I can either be going through something or, or hurting and I really have to just push it aside. And because the nature of my job is to coach people 
through things and coach people, you know, very much in a present tense moment, I have to be hyper present with people. And so that, that requires me holding a lot of space for people. So if I'm a new father and I'm going through my own thing or I miss, I miss my wife or I'm about to go do this or I'm about to do this, like I have all my own problems that I have to get done. And then my job is to deal with everybody's problems. And so then it's like I start really trivializing my own problems or my own stuff that I have to work on or they get swept under the rug and then, you know, someone yeah. steps on that rug and they all come flying out. Yeah. And so that's, that's probably the big thing right now that I have to be really aware of is, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, I wouldn't say hiding, but I spend a lot of time kind of moving the emotion. So basically if this is the dominant thought in my mind, and then I have a client call me. I'm like, okay, I got to put this over here. And then if this canister or, or trash can gets full, I'm like, okay, cool, new trash can. Or, 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 or then I start trivializing my emotions where I'm like, oh, this isn't trash. This is a recycling. I'm going to go fill up my recycling bin. Oh, this is my compost bin. <laughs> and so I get all these bins. And then, like, I finally get, like, a few days or a week or just a moment to myself. And then it's just, like, all this stuff that just comes here. Yeah. It's like, hey, you ready to – deal with this yet and so it's 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 things like that and uh you know one of the things that you said at um one of my last events that i i have absolutely taken to heart that's actually really helped me it's actually helped a lot of my clients because i use it is identifying should as a shame word because mm -hmm. there's so many times where i'll be like oh i should do this or oh i should have done this or i should be working on this and um it was it was funny after our 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 um, event that we did up at my house, I was doing the, I was, I was heavy into the, the should, I was shooting all over myself. Like there was no tomorrow. Um, and we were up at my parents' cabin and, uh, we, we, so we take our, uh, camper up there and we're, we're hanging out and I'm laying down and I'm telling Kayla, Man, I should be working out. I should be running. I should be this. And she's like, well, we came up here to, to take some downtime to watch some movies yeah. or to, you know, hang out with your parents, spend quality time. This is, this is what we came here to do. And now all you can talk about is you should be doing basically anything else. I said, you're right. You're right. So we put on a movie. We're hanging out five, 10 minutes later. I really should be like working out. Like I need to, I need to, like, I haven't, it's been like two days or whatever. Um, so she stops the movie and she says, then go do it. Like right now, because right now this isn't the quality time that I want to spend with you. This isn't quality time at all, actually. So if this is your dominant thought, if this is what you need to do, I need you to go take that time. Go take the 45 minutes, go take the three hours, go take the hour and a half. I don't care what it is. Go get it done. Come back here and you be present with me. And I did that. I actually went up on the top of the mountain and, and worked out and kind of cleared my head. And I came back and I was a completely different person. Mm. I had this like all this energy that finally released and I wasn't shitting all over myself. There's and but what I had re released was the shame. Mm. And so one of the things I'm really trying to work on is 
how can I actually release the shame without needing to take the action? Yeah. So when I was sitting there, because the priority needs to be my family, it needed to be quality time at that moment. You know, how do I get out of needing to go do the activity so that I can basically release the shame or the stress? Yeah. And so that's something I've, I've gotten way better at it, but it's, it's still something that, you know, we're, we're working through and working on because I'll, I'll sit there and, you know, think that I need to be in this state of movement or action. And I, and I start really into the blame game of things I could be doing to make sure my family has their financial fortress. So I never go back to being that little kid that's scared. So a lot of what you just said, I deeply identify with. And it's interesting because there were periods in our relationship where, you know, for a long time, for example, before I got out of corporate and realized that I needed to like shift my language, it was always everything in my world is for the benefit of my family. Right. Yeah. But my actions weren't always congruent with that. Yeah. Right. And then I leave literally corporate America to lean into the world to help people become who they are. And 14 months later, my wife sits me down on my back patio and says that some of the things I've done contributed to her losing who she was. Mm. Right. And so you see these different pieces where it's like, as though I've created more and more congruence, what I also was doing was pouring so much into so many other people that my family was getting what was left over of me. Mm. And yeah. so what I'm really curious about is why do you believe that you should be able to be all things to all people? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of the things is it's becoming like, it's becoming my new identity for sure. And I think that it is. Do you believe you can be? All no, things to all no, people? I know. I know I can't. I know I can't. I just. So how can that become your identity? I can't. It's hmm. just something I, I just, I don't, I never want to let people know. Yeah. I always, I like, I always want to show up for people. Well, you know, it's interesting because so many of the roots to the pieces of what you're talking about clearly date back to the day that that original, I don't even know what, it, what, what an oak tree grows out of. What, what nut is it? What seed acorn. is it? Acorn. Okay. So that acorn was planted way back when yeah. in the midst of everything you experienced. And at some point you believed that you needed to be an oak tree either for yourself or for other people, but really for both is mm -hmm. how you operate. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm fascinated about is I want you to go back and take us back to the poverty, the violence, the not understanding the financial distress that you were in, mm. right? The 15 year gap between you and your brother. I want you to put yourself, call it eight years old, whatever, whatever age is going to be most meaningful for you. Go back and get inside your body in that time and tell me, what were you experiencing? What was your belief system at the time? What were you feeling? And what did you believe at that time you should become. Mm. You know, it's, I think, I think when everything, I think when everything kind of started unraveling, it was probably when I was 10. Um, my grandfather who, and I think this is kind of where the seeds that got planted in me that were like a little more status driven. And my, my, Grandfather, I'm actually named after him. He's an incredibly famous psychologist who taught at Duke for 40 years. Started the psychology department at uh, uh, CU in Boulder. Um, and so anytime he'd come into town, 
or my or my aunt would come into town. She's the number one biochemist in the entire world, Judith Kimball. And these academic like things that got pressed upon us. And then my dad was six months away from his doctorate and quit to play music. Mm. And he started he started kind of getting the shame from the family. And it wasn't going well. He had a little music shop in Laramie, Wyoming. But when I was 10, my brother was living in the basement. He was kind of going through his own thing. And my grandfather was coming into town. And my grandfather, like my my brother had just made us all breakfast. And my dad's like running around frantically trying to clean the house. And uh, my dad runs back in, tells my brother like, hey, can you clean up the dishes? Um. And my brother says, well, I made the food. You clean up the dishes. And my dad said, well, you, well, you just clean up the dishes. Like, I, I need to do this, that, and the other. And my brother says, no, you clean up the dishes. And so they get into this, like, big thing. And then pretty soon my dad, I'm pretty sure my dad took the first action, but he pushes my brother into the fridge. But my brother's like, I mean, at the time he would have been, what, 25. So, I mean, much more equipped to fight he's much younger and so my brother just unloads on my dad just starts beating the hell out of him my brother's five-year-old her name is fire p-h-y-r-e um she's sitting with me so she's five i'm ten and we watch this battle happen to where my my dad and my brother are just beating the ever living out of each other my dad is looking for the car keys because he wants to go because they're driving in from Denver because that's where you, fly, where you fly in. So he's like, I want to get to the road to flag down my parents so that they don't come to the house. And But he can't find the car keys, so he gets on his bike, and he starts doing that. My brother finds the car keys and then proceeds to try to run my dad over. Mm. And so they're going they're going at, like, at it even to then. And, and I mean, my, my niece, like, is you know, crying, I'm crying, my mom's freaking out and crying. And I think that's, that's when I, you know, our kids tend to think that we're supermen. And until that moment, I thought both my dad and my brother were supermen. Mm. I really thought they were, they were supermen. Like, they, they were like, they could come in and beat up any bully that got me. They could come in and save me. They were the hero. And that's when I re realized neither one of them were superheroes. Like both of them. How did that feel in that moment? I mean, in like, that. Describe it, not just emotion. Like what were the thoughts? What were the feelings? What were you experiencing real time when you were like, oh gosh, my dad and brother are no longer Superman in my eyes. I need to protect my mom. I need to protect mm. my niece. That's when you decided you need to be an oak tree. Yeah. So I think I just, I was like, someone's got to protect our family because it's not going to be these two clowns. Like they're, they're actively putting our family in jeopardy and you know, they've since, you know, made amends and stuff, but I'm never going to forget that I've forgiven them for sure. But it's just though that moment where I was like, okay, like someone's got to change this family's trajectory. And I think so ever since I was 10, mm. but that's also why I think, you know, I was always the, the class clown. And in a lot of ways, my nephew and I are very similar. Um, when he was, and again, when he was 14, he went through three different suicide attempts from the time he was 11 to 14. 
And uh, I went in and uh, had him come live with me. Um, the reason he, he did that is when he was 11, he went through the Aurora theater shooting. And so he got exposed to that and uh, had to live with my brother. And, and uh, you know, so much so like my, my nephew has gone through like, cause he went through cutting and just to be very clear, I have this, I've always asked him, I said, because people wonder about our relationship, I, I have permission to talk Thank about Thank you this. for actually making that known. Cause yeah. that's really important. Yeah. I always think it's, you know, it's always important that we understand whether or not we have permission to tell someone else's story. Yeah. I, I and, and I've watched a lot of, unfortunately, I've watched a lot of coaches not make it clear that you need to do that. But, um, he, I mean, he's, he works in our companies, but he's, you know, everyone's working he's an incredible on, man. Yeah. he's an incredible person. Everyone's working on their stuff, but you know, he had this, you know, developmental gap from, you know, that, well, I actually all the way back to about seven, but where I'm going with it is one of the things I had to do is I got him into a good mental headspace because, you know, how I got into personal growth was because actually in a lot of ways because of him. Because I suicide legitimately is a foreign concept to me, like me personally, empathetically. I can sympathize with it. I cannot empathize with it because I, I don't feel you that. Haven't, you haven't experienced that. I don't feel that. And so I had to do a lot of work to understand my nephew to help him. Right. And so I get into an absolutely great place. And then his own mother sends him a picture of her cutting herself saying, I'm going to finish the job that you couldn't like, this is what he goes through. And so he's going through these things and I have to talk him through that and talk him through the family dynamic. And, and like, this is a, again, when, you know, not just the Oak tree shows up, but like my armor shows up. Cause it's just like, like I, I want to go to battle for him, but I, I mean, you can't, I, I just have to be there for him. That's why I love your 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 saying. You know, the soft front, strong spine. I, I think it's just such a great illustrative understanding of of who who people can be to one another, where most people put up that strong front, and and I I work really hard on softening that front. Yeah, and um, you know, I have all of these things where I'm looked at as the protector not just from my family from clients from friends i mean everybody greg what should i do what do you think this can you help me can you this and then i feel so bad when i don't show up for people yeah. and so those those moments i just um like anything i'm just trying to you know make it make sense and, and make damn sure i never put my family in any of those things and that's why like before we go to family outings, like for a long time, like I, like Kayla and I were very, very clear on the rules of engagement. If my brother was going to be present in our family, I was saying this, this is how this goes down. And if this even kind, if we smell this, we are going to remove ourselves from the mm -hmm. environment because Conrad and realistically my wife, they don't speak that language. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be able to speak the language. Unfortunately I do because I grew up in it, but I go over to Kayla's family and it's like, it's so weird to me because her family like is like actually like, it's like father of the bride status. Like it's like everyone loves each yeah. other with just like the little idiosyncrasies of course, but they're like, 
actually normal. It's so crazy. And I just remember the first few family times I had with them. And I was like, I was waiting yeah. for the other shoe to drop. I was waiting for the explosion. I was yeah. waiting for the fight or the this. And I'm just like, wait, like, so you guys like actually just always love each other? Like, this is a thing? Are, are you sure? And I, I, but I mean, you know, we've been together for 12 years and there's just never a fight at a family function. Do you, uh, do you think others feel badly when they don't show up for you? I would say it depends on who. It's fair. I think some people don't pay two minds about it. And I think other people feel how I do about it. So again, I'm going to show my ignorance on oak trees, but I feel like anytime I see an oak tree, there's not many oak trees together. Are there forests of oak trees? Do they grow together? I don't know. I feel like every time I ever see a prominent oak, it's like a singular oak. Yeah. Like, of a, right. And it's, it's little, and, 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 as, and though they are the epitome of strength in so many ways, the canopy they provide, the community they provide within them, right? Yeah. Often they're standing alone. Yeah. Who are your oak trees? Kayla is my biggest oak tree. I believe that, outside of Kayla. Far and away. Um, a man named Roland Pritzker. Um, Austin. Beautiful. The best man. He, he, and he actually introduced me to Kayla. Beautiful. So that's a pretty big oak tree. You've absolutely absolutely become an oak tree for me. Um, actually, Valfred, who's with me today, he's he's been with me for seven years. He's at an absolute oak tree. Mm. Sal is an oak tree in his own way. In his own way. Sometimes he, he makes me want to chop him down sometimes, but I love him. Um, you know, my, my mom in her own way, too. Uh her love and dedication, for sure, oak tree. My dad, oak tree. Um, Sharon has been an oak tree, but that's much more in the professional side of things. Um, I think it's honestly a lot easier to get professional oak trees because it's much more clear cut in the transactional side of things. I think it's extraordinarily hard to get personal oak trees. And if they're transactional, are they really oak trees though? Probably not. So I'm curious. I love what you position with the final percent. You know, Percent can be looked at in the scheme of an individual, but it can also be looked at through the lens of percentile, mm. right? And I, when I hear 100%, right, and the final percent, and I want to be really clear when I say this, you know, I love you, I support you in the full mission and going yeah. that extra mile because I do believe it is in the 1%. But I want to make sure, too, that we really kind of dig into this concept because mm. if we assume that 100 percentile is 100%, mm -hmm. right? And in the force ranking of a bell curve and how this works and we break yeah. it into percentiles, it would mean that anybody that's not in the hundredth percentile is less than. Mm. What role, if any, does ego play in the concept of a hundred percent? And how do you position and extract how each individual can live this, mm. but the collective nature of impact that comes by doing it together? Yeah, I think that's the, 
I think that's the thing that happens with people when they when they think a hundred percent, they immediately think of it as perfection. So it gets this kind of misconception because where I'm actually going from is changing the entire meaning of percentile because of what you just said. Because if you think about it, you know, and this is what I would say, you know, we're taught that 90% is an A. An A. Well, A minus, I guess. And 95% is an A. 98% is an A plus. Why go 100%? And it occurred to me that, and, and there's two stories, but the super, super fast one is here's how important that final percent is. If you look at your wife and you say, hey, I'm going to be A-plus faithful. I'm going to be faithful 98% of the time. Well, the 2% of the time you're not faithful in your marriage freaking matters. And the 2% of the time you're not faithful to yourself matters. And you look at this in so many different things where an operating system that only installs 98% doesn't even work. And so it's like, you know, if, if, or if you say, you know what, 98% of the time I don't kill people, but 2% of the, no, there's, there's certain areas of life where you're either wet or you're not wet and you're going to show up or you're not going to show up. It, it requires like, for instance, when are you ever going to be only 98% a dad? Like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent a dad all the time. I'm not always the best, but I'm, I'm going to give my best every time. And that's, you know, one of the things that I tell like my sales team, for instance, we'll have quotas and this, that, and the other. And they're like, oh, we failed and this, that, and the other. And I'll say, no, 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 no. Did you give your best? Yeah. Yes, we did. Okay. That all you can do is the best you can do. Mm -hmm. And the concept came to me from watching the eclipse is because, you know, I was the impatient dude who like, I'm sitting on the side of the road. And I'm looking up at basically Pac-Man appearing in the sky. And I have those little like 25 cent glasses that I paid, you know, $30 for to some entrepreneur on the side <laughs> of the road because I was ill-prepared. But I keep trying to sneak a peek of this thing. And I'm like, and for anyone listening, there's, there's such a huge difference between going to the totality and just seeing the percent. And, and what I mean by this is Denver, Colorado had 98, 99% coverage. And Casper, Wyoming had 100% coverage. And so when I'm there, there's literally 1% of the sun showing. I'm taking off, and it's still the sun. 1% of the sun is still going to burn your eyeballs. Like when NASA says don't look at the sun, they're not kidding. But it's so interesting when that final percent happened, it turned from like day to night. The temperature dropped by like 30 degrees. It looked like it was 9 o'clock on a, on a summer's night you know, 360 degrees around me. And for that, like, two and a half minutes, I, I could tell, like, I was in the middle of magic. Mm. Like, it was crazy. And so then I went back to Denver, and I, I had to tell everybody about this. I'm like, oh, my God, did you see? They're like, yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. Like, I, I loved it. And I'm like, oh, you went to Casper? Because you had to move. You had to actually physically go to where the totality happened. And they're like, oh, no, we were 99% coverage, and that was good enough. And that's when I realized you have no idea what I'm talking about hmm. because that final percent was the difference between night and day. That final percent was a 25 degree temperature drop. Yeah. 
the final percent was all the animals around me going dead silent. Yeah. And so I asked myself, and this is when it kind of went into the relationship side of things. I asked myself, is that same exponential shift available in my marriage? Because I think I'm a pretty good husband. And to be very clear, never in the faithful department. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I'm like a 98% husband. And so I'm like, okay, if I go 100% in how I love my wife, is that exponential shift available? And the answer was yes. If I go 100% my learning, is that exponential shift available? The answer was yes. And so that's how the final percent was born. Yeah. And then a lot of people, it's so funny, I was, I was just on tour with this guy who uh, attacked the final percent all the time because he identified it as this notion of perfection. And I'm like, no, it's just basically, are you who you say you are 100%? Yeah. Like, are, like, are your intentions pure? Yeah. Is your integrity there? And are you giving it your best? I really appreciate your ability to so clearly distinguish it between effort and outcomes or results. Cause yeah. that's what I was hoping you would do. That's how yeah. I believe it. You know, I'm a supporter in the yeah. belief system. I am curious though, when you experienced totality, mm -hmm. the final percent only existed for two and a half minutes in yeah. your experience. Yeah. So is the final percent truly attainable to everyone to everything in every time? Yes and no. I think that in a lot of ways, it's a little bit like a video game. So you go the final percent or it could be the final chapter. And some people will just reread the last two pages or reread the last chapter. And it is like when we get into the next chapter or the next book, you know, you start a new version or journey in the final percent like there's there's times where i just knew like and because like the thing is let's say let's let's take like a year ago when our relationship in a lot of ways was more in, in its infancy in, infancy phase i knew certain things about myself i knew certain things about you i knew certain things about what we could accomplish and then the depth of our relationship conversations the way that we challenge each other unlocks new doors where I realized, okay, this was my final percent. Mm -hmm. And now what I thought was my final percent in this moment, tomorrow is my 80%. And now it's time to get to work. Thank you. And so it's, it's all about unlocking doors. Yeah. It's all about, you know, trying the, the, the keys that you have at that moment on all the different doors of life. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what I, I really, I, I have loved about getting to know you because I deal so much in the present tense. There's a lot of like, quote unquote, therapy and counseling and trauma and past work that I'm either not equipped to deal with or I don't fully understand. And it's been really fun watching you work and getting to know you because I'm like, oh. and so there's, there's so many times where like, I'll listen to you talk and I'm like, this is what this client is going through. And I wouldn't have known that if I thought like, oh, well, I, I know everything, which, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, and I also used to play that role, which I'm glad, I'm glad I, I, I get out of that pretty quick. Cause the more you read, the, the more you realize, the less, you know, and, uh, and that's why I'm always going to be a lifelong learner. And that's why, again, the final percent is, is talking about, you know, living 
in the moment, like not just being alive, but actually living. It's the only thing real, man. It's the only thing real, like yeah. this moment. And that's one thing I tell, I tell uh, when I'm, I'm working with Sallow and I'm like, you have either competency tasks or character tasks. And people are addicted to competency tasks right now. They want to be challenged intellectually. But character tasks are, what are you doing where people are not going to clap? And sometimes, you know what, that's taking out the trash. Like, if, if I need you to take out the trash, mm -hmm. no one should clap for that. You should just take out the trash. But conversely, if you need to take out the trash, don't do it with a crap attitude. Like, if you need to take out the trash, like, that's, that's what you need yeah. to do in that moment. That's the moment you have. It's the only moment you have. Do it with joy. Well, I, I appreciate that you would say at least doing it with joy. Here's the thing. I help people identify and take out their trash in so many ways. Yeah. So for me, I do want to celebrate people taking out the trash, even Heck if it's yeah. a real, real trash bag in the corner, because at some point our society got above taking out their own trash. Exactly. And there's this expectation even in corporate culture where it's like how many hundreds of trash cans exist and there's someone who cleans them all at the end of the night. Yeah. Right. The personal responsibility and ownership. And so, yes, I love how you broke that down, but you have to expect as the garbage man, I was going to jump on that one. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in reading and understanding the concept of, of your book, Homeless Millionaire, you talk mm -hmm. about starting these 15 different companies and mm -hmm. the importance of picking partnerships. Mm -hmm. Can you give a little bit of understanding to your experience with partnerships and where you've shifted your focus in them now? Um, and maybe one or two lessons you've extracted through partnerships that maybe have not uh, been mutually beneficial. I firmly believe that anytime the money you're making, and I've made this mistake so many times, this is why I immediately got here, the money that you're making in a partnership or even in investors, the money that you're getting, if the money is more than 50% of the reason you're doing business with that person, I really think it's going to fail. Hmm. I think that like my new rule is if I'm ever going to get into business, it's 25% because we can make money together or 25% because I need money because I'm doing a capital raise and 75% because I really want to do business with that person. Hmm. And, you know, I have broken that rule every now and then and it has always bit me in the butt. Always. And I need to adhere to that because when you make money the motivation or money the master, you are its slave and servant. Mm -hmm. And you're, you have to be the person who controls the money. Don't let the money control you. So if it's like, oh, well, I get this great opportunity. I'm just going to go compromise my principles and values. You're not going to, you're going to create the trash. Mm -hmm. You're going to create a bunch of stuff. And it, it, there's going to be a wake of damage that happens. If you break that, you, you, the who is so much more important than the how. And if you can find the right who anything's possible. Yeah. I love what Jim Collins says in his book, book, good to great. He said, don't get on a bus because of where the bus is going mm. get on the bus because of who else is on the bus. Mm -hmm. And that's why like, um, like if you pulled up outside my house and there you were, you had a bus and you're like, Hey Greg, do you want to get on? I'm getting on that bus. <laughs> I'm not going to say, well, where are you going? 
Number one, you live in Arizona. If you're outside my house with a bus, I'm really interested in why you're there and where we're going. Like, that just sounds fun. You know, I want to get on that bus. We're, yeah. we're going to go on an adventure. And, like, I'm not going to be like, well, how much money am I going to make? Because hmm. then immediately you're going to go, well, <laughs> you shouldn't be on this bus. Right. So I don't know. And, and the thing is, is people who are more concerned with who's on the bus, when the bus inevitably has to take a detour or when the bus has to change a flat tire, if you get people who are on the bus because of who else is on the bus, they're much more likely to go, hey, let's change this tire together. Right. Let's change this tire together. But if you get on the bus because of people, they're so money motivated or destination motivated they're much more likely to get mad that we're stopped changing a tire and they're going to stay on the bus going, Hey, when are you going to get this thing fixed? Yeah. And so those, those are the things like in partnerships, pay attention to the who and not the what. Speaking of partnerships, what's your biggest problem right now? My biggest problem. It, it seems, it seems to be around an ex partner. I have, uh, I have uh, had a, a fun time with uh, an ex person that I, I showed the, uh, I showed up for a big time and his community and uh, it's just through a, a series of, you know, realistically things that compromise my values and principles because of his racist remarks and the idea of, you know, how money started controlling everything. It's just, and, and honestly, that was one of the, the reasons we, we broke that thing because we're, we're like, okay, and my whole team, I mean, we had red flags everywhere, and we're yeah. just like, man, do we really want to do this? Oh, but the money's good. And we saw flashes of, like, really good compassion, and then we'd get excited. Oh, maybe this is going to work out. And then, like, it, it's like it's almost like it was, like, reeling us in for a haymaker. Yeah. And then we'd get punched in the mouth, and then, you know, and now we're, like, in the middle of lawsuits and, and all of that stuff, all because we didn't listen to the red flags. Right. And because we let – the money control more than 50% of our decision on that. We knew the who wasn't in alignment. Thank you for being so willing to go there and give that descriptor. Because again, you've had 15 companies, you've yeah. built success, you teach others how to do it. But again, there's still that human experience. Absolutely. There's still that human error. That's there's still that hope, compassion that we attach to people yeah. and things that we see opportunity around. Well, and I think in some weird way, like, I thought I could fix him. Yeah. I thought I could, I could, you know, lead by example. I could, you know, and, you know, and I think that's another thing you, I always say, you know, don't coach without permission, but you know, it's, it's really hard to like, if, if people are on a sinking ship, like you shouldn't have to talk people into putting on a life jacket. Right. And you, you can't save people who don't want to get saved. You can't. And you can't be an example for people who aren't willing to look at examples. I expended a lot of energy down those paths as recently as in the last year, yeah. right? Where I've wanted more for certain people than they've wanted for themselves. Yeah. But to the whole point of what you even started this piece with, right? I'm, I'm very, very aware that there's many more people in my life that want something from me than for me. And I don't say that with any negative energy or emotion because I'm so clear on it now. And I'm not yeah. saying that I need many that needs that want something for me. But it is mm -hmm. interesting because as an oak tree, right, as this proverbial air traffic controller that you exist in, I've seen you create lots of movement in people. 
And so I would love for you to just give a little bit of dynamics and feature, like what are the things that you guys are building, Mm -hmm. the communities, the events, because I genuinely have enjoyed everything. And I want to give one little endorsement. We're gonna have a little bit of fun here in a second. Um, I, I've spoken on this man's stage multiple times and the rooms are incredible. And what I really want to say is he was the very first person that I'd ever seen combine an album release, a concert and a motivational conference all in one weekend. It was beautiful. And I'm pretty sure, can't you like hit pitches higher than like most sopranos on this planet, female singers? Yeah. And so I don't know, maybe you can drop a a line or a bar on this for us to be able to show the world what you do because you sing on stage while you speak. Yeah. And, and, and I'd love our audience to be able to experience all of what you're creating, but even in this moment, if they can experience who you are through it, maybe you sing it to us. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I've been talking all weekend, so I don't know what, I don't know what would come out of my uh, mouth if I, tried to sing but you can listen to the album it's called the purple explosion aim volume one Mm. and aim stands for album of inspiration and motivation and you can find it on on spotify apple music and we i'm working on the second album right now um actually one of the the songs that uh, is going to go on is a song called war and you know my last partnership i was on the phone with this this guy and I said, I said this, I, we're fighting back and forth and we realize it's going to get legal. And I go, okay, fine. You want to go to war? Then let's go to war. And I hung up on it. By the way, uh, let's be honest. It was more like this. <laughs> uh, I was not on a, <laughs> I love that when we, on the stage, we just try to hit it extra hard with our fingers. Yeah. And then, and then some others still on there and, it, and like, you're like, and then you hear hello. It's like, shit. <laughs> um, but I, I thought to myself, I'm like, well, and that's that's a, a clear representation because me doing business with this person turned me into a person I really thought I used to be at, but I realized was still inside of me. And so I said, okay, war is angry, war is not good. I got to make a reassociation. This is one of the things I teach. It's like any of these bad things that show up in your life or the trash that shows up in your life, we, you know, I'll do some NLP work and drop some anchors so that we can change what that means to you at a fundamental level. And so I said, okay, I have to really change what war means to me. And so I go, okay, cool. What's the, in this particular situation, what's the wisest action I can take? What's the wisest action? And then no matter what this person does to me, I'm going to repeat the wise action. And then I went, wait a minute. Wise actions repeated. Mm. War. So anytime someone wants to go to war, instead of letting it, consume you with anger or bitterness or hostility or aggression, choose the wisest action and then repeat it and let that be what war stands for. Hmm. And so I wrote a whole song around war. Um, You know, your, your fifth pillar move. I I have a song called move. Um, And I, I I take these concepts and I put them into a, uh, an understanding on something that can kind of be an anthem for that mood so that you can use that to anchor you. You can use that to clean your house, to work out to, or have it reset you. If someone is sitting here and you want to go to war, listen to the song war first, and then you're going to approach that just a little bit differently. And, uh, and you know, I, I grew up in church and I, I just saw the power of music and speech or, or, you know, music and motivation. I said, why does that have to be exclusively religion? 
you know, why don't we do that in a, an environment of personal growth and, you know, kind of build an entrepreneurial church, if you will. Um, and so I had the idea, wrote the album and we did it and, you know, we're really excited about the, the traction we got. And, uh, you know, next September, we're going to be doing another big conference, which Brian's invited to all of my events from now until forever. Cause I just love working with him so much. Um, and you just, you just add so much value. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm someone who, when I, when I, when I run into somebody who is, is better than me in a, in a lot of areas, I'm like the opposite of like the insecure person. I'm like, yes, I can provide even more value. And so it's, it's always really fun to work with you because like, I know that the people I work with really need it. And I know that they, you know, are going to benefit and they're going to go to the next level because I was able to not go, Oh, is he, is he doing better than me? Like, what does that even mean? Like I, I've been, and, and honestly, this is one of the things that happened you know, with the ex business partner. We go on tour and stuff. And, you know, one of my, one of my coaches said, you know, honestly, it's a little embarrassing watching him come on after you. Cause it, it feels like, like a pissing contest every time he comes and talks after you. And that's one thing like you and I are both really good at what we do. And it's never, ever, ever felt like that. It's always complimentary and it's always, you know, the, the space is there, the understanding is there and the impact and the, the emotion and the feeling I think from the community is there instead of it always being a quote unquote performance. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference is a lot of people, turn personal growth into a performance and don't get me wrong we're on stage so there's an element of entertainment and performance but it can't be performance for performance sake mm. and i think that's the the thing where you can when you find like the i don't know the avengers if you will of personal growth it's you know sometimes Sometimes, you know, the Hulk is appropriate, you know, sometimes, you know, vision is appropriate, you know, I'll be, I'll be the Hulk in this. You, you're like more of a Tony Stark vibe, Cosmos vision from like, it's, 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 it, it happens. And there's a reason that there's, there's people with different skill sets and, and experiences. And I just, I get so excited when I, when I start learning and, you know, when Cosimo at the last event was was talking, I was taking notes. When you were talking, I was taking taking notes. I always take notes when you're talking. I learned so much from you, and I just love hanging out with you and working with you. It's just it's just fun, man. Yeah. And uh, when you when you feel that impact and you notice the real change, it's just like it's it's not validation because you know I don't need anyone's val validation, but it's certainly confirmation. it's confirmation and affirmation. It's mm -hmm. just like. I'm exactly where I need to be. Yeah. And this person's exactly who I thought they were. And, you know, going back to the, the old business partnership that I had, unfortunately, that person's exactly who I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And I should have listened sooner. And that's... Well, remove should. You, you could have or would have listened sooner. <laughs> that's if you had variables. And now you know better for next time. That's true. That's true. So as we wrap here, brother, man, I'd love if you could just leave the audience with some closing thoughts from your heart and make sure that you integrate in there some places that they can get a hold of you and find you. Cause I want everybody to be able to know how to follow you, the work that you're doing. Cause to your point, man, impact is inevitable, especially mm -hmm. when it's collective. And, uh, and I just genuinely appreciate how you show up. So yeah, the, the easiest way, like our, our website is the final percent.com. 
Um, so if you want to know about anything that we're up to, um, the big thing that we're trying to, to, to do is uh, we have the podcast, the final percent uh, podcast. So just look up the final percent anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then our Facebook group. Um, both of those things are completely free. Our Facebook group is uh, the final percent network on uh, Facebook. So check us out there and, and join us. And we, it, again, it's not like a lot of Facebook groups where like, it's like a sales pitch and this, like, it's literally like our coaches will go live. We just add some value. Um, we live stream things. Everyone's like, there's a lot of curated content where people will find stuff on their feeds of mm -hmm. motivation. They add it into the group. So it's a really good positive environment. Um, and yeah, those are the, the two things on Instagram. I'm just Greg Kimball. So G R E G K I M B L E. Um, and, and all that'll be in the show notes. So. And yeah, so that's, those are the easiest ways to, to find us the the big thing um that uh we want to we want to just do and support is is our podcast that's kind of the big thing that we're focused on right now and uh brian was just on there i think two or three episodes ago so it was uh it's always fun going down the uh the rabbit hole with him or the trash can maybe had <laughs> um and, and we, we dig we dig stuff out and, and he's a reoccurring force in my world for a very good reason um, but yeah, we're just, we're just trying to make, uh, make the day or the, the world a little bit better than it was yesterday. Beautiful. Well, thank you for being here with us today and for everyone else. Here's the reality. You can grow up in poverty, destruction, anger. You can witness things at a very young age that make you believe that the people in your world are no longer who you thought they were. And if you can continue to invest and pour into building the root system under the acorns that are planted in your life, you too can become the oak tree. But make sure you're not standing alone like so many other oak trees that we see. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with others just like Greg does. Because the reality of it is, is whether we operate like the knight's tail and have to armor up to become someone because of who the world told us who to be, it's never until we drop that armor and learn to connect based on who we are that things in your life will move. Greg is a great example of that. He shows people what's possible. He shows individuals how to give 100% to all things that matter in their life and allow the human experience to ebb and flow through it. But it does require you to flip open your lid and scan your can. What you can probably tell by now is that I love telling these stories, but what I love even more is the impact that's coming from them. You see, we're on a mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as possible, but to do that, we need you. See, we believe that moved people move people. And so all I'm asking is if you've resonated, connected with any of the messaging, please consider like, commenting, sharing, leave a rating and review. Thank you so much for tuning into Flipping the Lid. And if you want more information on the show, how to become a guest, how to recommend a guest, or any of the other details, head over to flippinthelid.com. We'll see you there.